Hello and welcome to Asia Watch Beyond the Headlines, where we take a deeper dive into current events in Asia of interest and impact for Canadians. My name is Stuart Beck, President and CEO of the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada. Asia Watch is our free news intelligence service and features analysis on the latest news, trends, and issues in Asia that matter to Canadians. Visit our homepage to subscribe at www.asiapacific.ca. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Jeff Rees, APF Canada's Vice President of Research and an expert on economics, geopolitics, and security in Asia. Hello, Jeff, and welcome to Asia Watch Beyond the Headlines. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Jeff, last month, 13 Canadian MPs from all five major federal parties signed a letter urging the International Olympic Committee to move the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics to another country over reported human rights abuses in China's Uyghur uh, minority. Canada-China relations are already at an all-time low over the Meng Wanzhou affair and the retaliatory detention of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavar, two Canadians imprisoned in China now for more than two years. Whether or not Canada participates in the 2022 Games has become something of a hot-button issue, and other countries are weighing the same decision, including the Biden administration in the United States. You recently wrote a great op-ed on this topic for the Globe and Mail, and I quote from that article, the Biden administration is now facing a highly public and fundamental dilemma Canada would do better to avoid. Jeff, can you tell us what this dilemma looks like for the new U.S. administration? and why Biden's play here is significant for the U.S. and for all of us globally. Sure, Stuart. I think really there's two issues at play here. Um, one are around the values that are so important to communities and, and, and societies like Canada. Uh, on, on the other hand, of course, are the more kind of interest-driven policies that are, are important at the national level and with respect to Canada's national interests in places and particularly like the Asia-Pacific. The paradox or the, the kind of uh, problem set that I identified within the Biden administration is that there's an increasing chorus uh, at the domestic international level that's putting pressure on Biden to take what we'd call a principled uh, approach to the Olympics, whether that means boycotting or whether that means putting pressure on the IOC to move the Olympic Games to another country. But then in parallel, we also see increasing areas where U.S.-China interests are aligning and there's a need for clear partnership that will become increasingly difficult if the Biden administration listens to these growing pressures, the domestic or the international pressures, and decides to enact some sort of principle-based policy towards China. And I think that that's kind of the, the fundamental paradigm that's shaping up. And one that I don't think really has a very good outcome for the Biden administration or the United States and certainly would put Canada in another position where it would have to navigate a very tricky, I think, environment with respect to its China policy. So, Jeff, we talk about values and you just mentioned principles. Is there a difference between principles and values? I think with respect to values, it's, it's more about the things that we deem important uh, from a societal perspective. Uh, we understand that inclusivity, for example, is a very important value here in Canada. We understand that things like gender equality uh, and, and reconciliation with our First Nations group is a value. Principles can be more about a set of, of guiding guidelines for engagement that are based inherently on values, but that provide a bit of a, a value-based rules of the road, I think is probably the better way to think about principled approach to international relations. So compounding the issue of whether or not the U.S. will participate in the Beijing Olympics is growing international pressure. So some 
180 rights organizations have called for a Western boycott of the Olympic. If international pressure grows, as you wrote in the piece for the Globe, the Biden team could decide to demonstrate values-based leadership and support for the liberal order by opposing the games. You said that an Olympic boycott may prove politically expedient for the White House, but you went on to say, ironically, this could make it less likely that the Biden administration achieves its strategic ends with China, whether defined in normative or material terms. Can you explain uh, for our listeners what exactly you meant by that? You know, I, th I think the, as pressure grows internationally, and it's important, at least within the American context, to also understand that there's a lot of pressure building up at the domestic level. China policy has become an area of, of populist policy in the United States, where uh, no matter what the Biden administration will do, opposition politicians will accuse it of being soft on China or elitist if it, it talks about continued engagement. Uh, so those, those pressures are growing from, from the top down and from the bottom up. And really, my, my point here was, you know, Biden might look at the international community and say, hey, here's a chance to demonstrate U.S. leadership, which is something that I think he's very keen on, on doing. Uh, it's a priority of his kind of internationalist approach to the U.S. Uh, relations with Europe, with other uh, like-minded states. And he also might decide, hey, listen, I've got all this pressure going at the domestic level. The easiest thing to do is to take a, a principled stance. But what that will ultimately do is it'll put China on the defensive. And rightly or wrongly, what China will do is, is see that U.S. principled-based approach is, is a fundamental kind of a containment strategy. And what that will mean is that Beijing will be less likely to, number one, listen to U.S. concerns around the human rights conditions for the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, or with respect to democratic issues in, in Hong Kong, or whether it's with Tibet, or whether it's Taiwan, all of those lines of communication will fundamentally be affected by the perception within Beijing that the Biden administration is launching some sort of attack based on, on what Beijing sees as, as Western values. So ultimately, what it'll mean is that opportunities to engage on issues that are not only relevant to human rights regimes or or concerns about um, crimes against humanity in places like Xinjiang, all of those opportunities will become lessened at the same time that we're doing it specifically in order to put pressure on those regimes, uh, in order to make China be more of a, a, a responsive actor around some of the activities that it's doing with its minority populations. And so that, that's what I meant by saying that this is an ironic side effect of taking a principled stance is that you're ultimately less likely to achieve your values-based outcomes. Well, thanks, Jeff. Uh, clearly this is an issue Canadians and the foundation will be tracking in the months ahead. After a short break, I'll return with Jeff, the Foundation's Vice President of Research, to discuss what this means for Canada and what our best course of action should be vis-a-vis -vis the 2022 Olympic Games. The Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada invites you to subscribe to Asia Watch, our free email newsletter. Delivered to your inbox every Tuesday and Thursday from our team of research analysts, Asia Watch features the latest news, trends, and issues in Asia that matter to Canadians. Subscribe today at www.asiapacific.ca, a uniquely Canadian take on Asia. Hi, Jeff, and welcome to Asia Watch Beyond the Headlines. You and the research team have been tracking a number of geostrategic issues in Asia, particularly the return of the United States to a region arguably abandoned under the former U.S. administration. Of course, these issues and developments you track through the Canadian lens. When it comes to the 2022 Olympics, the question really is, 
should or shouldn't Canada politicize the Olympics and the repercussions both domestically and for Canada-China relations. Our actions here will generate. Let me ask you, from your perspective, what is really the best course of action for Canada? Do we boycott or do we participate and why? First, I think it's important just to say what participation would mean. It doesn't mean that Canada is stepping forward and saying, uh, we don't see that this, uh, there are problems within China's domestic situation around the Uyghurs. This isn't a, an acceptance of the current status quo within, within China's domestic situation and Canada deciding to move forward despite these, these issues. What it is, is Canada being part of an international event hosted in, in China, um, but that has international participation from hundreds of different nation states. Uh, it's an opportunity to not only demonstrate Canadian excellence in terms of winter sports, but it's also an opportunity for very effective uh, diplomacy and outreach with a number of different Olympic participation states. I think that from my perspective, the gains of participation clearly outweigh the costs. And again, I'll kind of reference back to the earlier discussion and point that I made with, if you do opt for a boycott, you're less likely to achieve your values-driven aims with respect to China. So that's the first point. The second point is if you do participate in the games and de-emphasize the situation in China with respect to the Olympic Games, you maintain the ability to continue discussion with Beijing around these issues, both up to the Olympics and beyond. So while we might feel that a boycott would serve a very short-term strategic aim around a values-based driven foreign policy, ultimately would come at the long-term cost of Canada being a stakeholder within the discussions around uh, Chinese human rights abuses and again, crimes against humanity in, in places like Xinjiang. So if we are determined to be part of the solution rather than a continuation of the problem, engaging with China through the Olympics provides an opportunity for us to maintain a steady enough or stable enough bilateral relationship where we can continue the messaging in more kind of discreet manner that, that's effective with respect to China. China is obviously a major issue and one that we are confronting because it's becoming such a large and important economic force globally. But when we talk about values-based diplomacy, values-based foreign policy, how does that frame in the context of the rest of Asia? Because there are a number of different countries that have regimes that we may not support under normal circumstances. How do you square this? Absolutely the case, Stuart. I think that the moment that we allow a values-based approach to dictate whether or not we interact with certain states, we will find our room for maneuver within the region increasingly narrowed whether it's respect to engagement with India, which of course has uh, domestic issues, whether it's respect to engagement with Southeast Asian states that are becoming increasingly authoritarian, uh, whether it's respect to engagement with Myanmar or Burma uh, around uh, the coup or, or potentially um, in the past human rights violations with respect to the Rohingya. The moment that we say, hey, listen, we're drawing a line in the sand because we don't agree with your values or your politics or your human rights. We fundamentally limit our ability to affect the situation on the ground because state engagement takes place the result of diplomacy and diplomacy requires established and maintained channels of communication. 
What that means effectively is we have to engage with states as they are if we want to have relationships with them. We don't get to determine, hey, we don't agree with this, so we're just not going to play ball. Uh, that's in nobody's interest. That's not in Canada's interest. That's not in the interest of the secondary states that we hope to engage with. Canada does have very important values that should be communicated to an international community. And, and we do that effectively through our own priorities within our foreign policy, whether that's the feminist international assistance program or whether that's our commitment to progressive trade through things like the comprehensive progressive trans-Pacific partnership. We are uh, vocal about what we believe. And that's important. And those are the appropriate channels through which we should be pushing this message. But when it gets to bilateral relations, whether that's with India, whether that's with China, whether that's with the ASEAN member states, to include Vietnam, Cambodia, states that have more authoritarian governments, we do have to understand that these are different systems than Canada. That doesn't mean that they're inherently bad. Perhaps they're against our values. But if we want to have productive relationships, we have to work with the partners that we have. I mean, I think well said, this is a, a reality that we all have to face. And obviously it's something that uh, will be front and center in the context of uh, people's thinking in Ottawa as we go forward with a, a strategy and approach to Asia. It's becoming the most important region for us uh, from an economic perspective. The United States will always be uh, our most important uh, trading partner and friend. But when we look at Asia, we have to think very clearly between managing a values-based approach and an interest-based approach. So, Jeff, I think you put a, a lot of these issues on the table today, and I, I thank you very much. Uh, for twice weekly free intelligence and analysis, please subscribe to Asia Watch or visit our website, www.asiapacific.ca. And if you enjoy what you've read, please tell your friends to, to subscribe. Until next time, thank you. And Jeff, thank you very much for a very enlightening session that we had today.